from WCL Pure, this is One Ocean. Hey everyone, Reese here, and hoping this finds you safe, healthy, washing your hands, and staying home, shredding later, wherever you're listening amidst this global pandemic. Whether COVID-19 is affecting you or someone you know directly, I know it's a difficult time for many. There's a balance we all have to strike of letting ourselves actually feel our feelings while at the same time keeping things in perspective. Lately, I've found myself equally touched and inspired by the likes of the poet Rupi Kaur and former Navy SEAL David Goggins. Rupi gently taps into our innermost feelings with poetry and illustration, while David encourages us to stay hard and does so in the middle of grueling physical workouts. There are two very different deliveries, but to me, they are two sides of the same human coin. We must know and address our feelings in all this, whatever they are, while not letting it stop us completely in our tracks. We must find a way forward together. It's similar to how many of us approach the environmental movement, and I couldn't help but notice this this similarity, in which we must be clear-eyed about the data while courageously pursuing change. One environmental leader I know of who embodies this balance is Hugo Tagholm. Hugo is the CEO of Surface Against Sewage, and he's our guest this week. We sat down for this conversation actually a while back, before the quarantine and before physical distancing, and we spoke about the 30 years of disruptive change Surface Against Sewage has made in the UK. Uh, it was a really great conversation, and I'm happy to share with you my chat with Hugo Tagholm. Hugo. Great to sit down with you, man. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here in Santa Monica with the World Surf League. Yeah, you're far from home, huh? I am far from Cornwall, very far <laughs> from Cornwall. Um, Hugo, I, you know, I, I can intro you and I can say who you are, but without going into your title or Surface Against Sewage, who are you? How do you define yourself? I, um, I'm a, an environmentalist and a surfer, probably an environmentalist first, um, and a very average surfer, but I, I love, <laughs> I love riding waves. Um, and, um, it's I, good to get that off your chest off the bat. Yeah. You know, the, you know, people sometimes expect me to be some sort of ripper and, uh, I'm possibly not. I always have to clarify to people, especially in the ocean <laughs> conservation space who aren't connected to surfing. They're like, Oh, you, you're, you're in pro surfing. Like you must rip. I'm like, no. No, 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 yeah. I definitely don't. And since starting working in professional surfing, I have, I have recalibrated my um, thoughts of my surfing ability even lower. I've re-ranked myself to yeah. the bottom quartile. Yeah. I, I started at the bottom. I, I remain at the bottom. <laughs> I think I was getting cocky for a while on the East Coast. I was like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm average. And now I'm like, no, no, I'm far below average. But, um, but yeah, <laughs> so I mean, and I live in Cornwall, but I'm a, I'm a Londoner originally. Um, yeah. And uh, that's where I started my my career, um, working with charities, and um, and I took over at SAS um, about ten years ago, actually two thousand and eight, um, and it's been an incredible journey since then. So uh, tell us about Surface Against Sewage. Well, Surface Against Sewage is uh, is uh, an incredible organisation that's been going for thirty years. This year's our thirtieth anniversary. Wow, that's um, incredible. And it um, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's an organisation that I. I became fascinated in back in 1991 um, and uh, that was the, the sort of first year of its sort of operation um, and it was set up as the name suggests to, to, to fight against the then chronic sewage pollution that was being pumped into the ocean around the UK. Um, so, so literal sewage? 
Absolutely, yeah. So the the effluent was was pumped out in in long pipes that that you know were about a kilometer long, um, sometimes shorter. That would uh, would put untreated sewage into the sea, and that would then blow back on shore with the prevailing sort of winds, um, and it would pollute our beaches. And a lot of surfers were getting sick um, of going in the water. Um, you know, when they they went in, they were getting ear, eye, nose, throat infections, all of those sorts of things. Wow. And so they decided enough was enough. So they started this organization. Yeah, um, and it was a a decade, um, the 1990s was a decade of, of sort of radical activism, similar to what we're seeing now with the climate strikes and all of those things. It was a decade when people were chaining themselves to ancient trees to stop them being felled. They were chaining themselves to railings to stop um, bypass roads being built around towns. There were people demonstrating and rioting in London because of taxation. And there were surfers going, we don't want sewage in the sea. And they pointed towards new legislation that was coming in from Europe. And, you know, um, 30 years later, we see a much cleaner bill of health for our ocean in the UK, thanks to this campaigning. That's that's so awesome. I, I love success stories like that, right? Like knowing that people can stand up and protect a place similar to the way that many communities have done around the world. But um, it's a particularly awesome story for you guys and where you are. Absolutely. And the, the, the guys um, and girls that founded the organization back then, they did a, a great job. They took to the streets with their gas masks, their slogan surfboards, their inflatable turd. They went to the streets of London, to Manchester, to the beaches of Cornwall, the Northeast, uh, all over the, the country to, to really raise awareness about this issue. And, you know, back then, about only about 25% of our beaches would have passed the minimum standards. And today, about 98% Nine eight and a half percent past those standards. So an incredible, incredible success story for people, um, people power. Um, you know, great for people and great for planet. And that's what we're all about. We're an organisation that is really that nexus: people and planet coming together to to um, to yeah to, to to talk about a sustainable future. That's super cool. Now, um, I think one thing that you know, uh, sort of narrow-mindedly sitting here in Southern California. Or maybe for others in the rest of the world, they'd go, wait, they're surfing in the United Kingdom? They're, they're, they're surfing there? I mean, listen, coming from the Northeast and living in New York City, people always used to be like, wait, you can surf in New York City? I'm like, yeah, Rockaway Beach. It's amazing. Yeah. I think my, 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 my immediate response to that is, shh. Nope, no waves. No nothing. waves. Yeah, Never it's, visit. It's very, very sort of average. Um, no, we get really good waves. Um, of course, like anywhere, it's, um, you know, it can be fickle. Um, we can get really good runs of waves. We've got good beach breaks, particularly, but um, there's some good reef breaks too around the country. Scotland's incredible. Cornwall's really good. Um, there's some good waves around um, Wales. So there's there's some amazing breaks. Um, this year started very very well. We got a, a long run of super fun waves. You know, head head and a half um, day after day offshore. You know, you know what most people really really like. Yeah, yeah, and but. I think what's important too is to remember that with a lot of these environmental groups, even if surfing is a component of it, it doesn't matter. And I think one of the things that you all embrace is not just surfers, not just sewage. So I imagine, you know, as, with the UK, you've got beaches and coastline everywhere. Who cares if you're a surfer? People can still be involved with surfers against sewage. It's more of the movement, right? Absolutely. And, you know, we started talking about um, the, 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 
the beginning of SAS with the sewage issue and, and, and our name doesn't describe us um, anymore and what we do. So we're a broad marine conservation charity um, that's grounded in grassroots activism, grounded in people's relationship with the sea, whether that's surfing or swimming or walking along beaches or sailing, whatever it might be, but particularly surfing. Um, and we work on lots of issues. We work on plastic pollution. Uh, we work on climate change. We work on marine protected areas and still on, on water quality issues. There's still a lot of underlying problems in the UK and around the world on that. So we've got a, a broad remit and we work with a lot of people. We work with about 100,000 volunteers at the beachfront every year who contribute about 400,000 hours of volunteering time to protecting beaches for everyone. And we build a, a whole sort of program of people working in communities to rid themselves of single-use plastics. Um, we work in schools with about a million school children. So all sorts of programs that are all about protecting the ocean. And our mission is to create ocean activists everywhere, whether that's on the beach in Cornwall or in the center of London or Manchester. That's, that's our, our job, to, to really inspire people with the ocean and create the change we want to see. That's amazing. And so you touched on a bunch of stuff there. So a lot, lot to unpack. Yeah. Going back to the phrase, not just surfers and not just sewage, so, you know, the organization has this founding story in sewage, but the, uh, you know, core focal areas for you have evolved and changed over the years. Um, like you said, you know, kind of sewage uh, or plastic is the new sewage. I know that that's yeah. one of the, the phrases you guys kind of use on, yeah. your, on your website. So one, is that really challenging to kind of change the message because people then go, wait a second, I thought you were sewage, plastic, climate, is that challenging or is that just overall sort of, sort of saying we're recognizing what the new threats are and adapting to them because as a small organization you have to be really smart with your resources and we've talked before about scope creep and trying to be too broad to too many things yeah. and so i imagine that's quite a challenge as an organization it's really really challenging and it's my most frequently asked question why don't you change the name um because it to doesn't what? to exactly that that's often my response <laughs> to what and you you got to bear in mind that we've got a third surfers against bad things yeah all yeah. bad things i mean we thought at one point um you know surfers against plastic would be good but the acronym's less good than sas you know so <laughs> um and um for for us you know in the uk and globally in in, in certain audiences we've got a very well known name um, in the in the UK, we've got a, a, a high street brand that's called the Carphone Warehouse. I mean, I often liken it to that. It's a, one of the, the the best retailers of mobile phones, but their name doesn't describe what they do. No one wants a car phone anymore. No one really wants to shop for their mobile phones in a warehouse, but they are a market leader because they've reinvented how they do things. And so I liken SAS, Surface Against Sewage, to that. We reinvented how we do things by delivering really high impact at the beach, involving a lot of people, empowering ocean activists around the coastline. And even more importantly, our 30-year legacy and track record of delivering high impact means that government ministers know us, that the media know us, that brands know us. So we're not a household name, but we're very well known in the UK. And what I'm picking up on here in, in this discussion is your awareness of brand and how important that is right? Like you guys are pretty savvy. The brand is on point. You also have really um, strong messaging that kind of harkens back to your activist roots. Some of the campaigns I've seen have been very creative, very well executed. They're also not afraid to be edgy, especially in a country who's known to have a motto that is keep calm and carry on, yeah. right? And we don't, don't stir the pot. We kind of all just do our thing. But I actually have been very impressed with your messages. Like, no, we're activists. We're going to be out there and put it in your face and say, plastic is sewage and um, you know what's this crazy creature from the deep so you're highly aware of brand and marketing message yeah I think it's it's vital you gotta you gotta cut through with that um, I 
think one of the greatest um, potential pitfalls for organizations and brands is when they become too anodyne, when they haven't got a personality, when they don't have a distinct sort of point of difference. And we are an ocean um, activist organization. We're there to campaign. We're there to create change. Um, and the theory of change is quite simple. Let's inspire and empower a lot of people, whether it's on the beach, through beach cleanups, whether it's through our plastic free communities program, whether it's through our water quality program or demonstrations we do in Westminster in London. And let's connect all of that voice together and aim it at the people who can create change, the government departments, the big brands we need to speak to to stop plastic ending up on our beaches. So that's the theory of change. It's quite simple. Let's get a lot of people together get that common voice, that common cause, and then point that um, at the normally the legislation we want to see. Um, and I would say, so it sounds like, you know, you've got the brand side dialed in, the awareness, the, the savvy on the campaign <laughs> side. But I think a really important element, and I want to make sure we dive into this, is the people organizing and the community aspect. And you've mentioned plastic-free communities a couple of times. And yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of this because it really is kind of a toolkit that you've put out there. And I think what you do through that program is empower people to take the reins in their community and go to being plastic-free. Is that a fair assessment of like what you're trying to do? And, and maybe you want to share with people a little bit more about plastic-free communities because maybe there's someone listening who isn't getting the surface against sewage message because they're somewhere else in the world, but they could take the plastic-free community toolkit and, and use it in their, in their local. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we um, we realized back in sort of 2015, 16, that not everyone was as fortunate as you or I, Reese, and, and they don't all live by a beautiful beach where they can go and do a beach cleanup, which feels really good because you've got this lovely environment, you want to care for it, it's where you might go surfing a lot. So a lot of our supporters live in cities and, and towns where, where the, the sort of activity of picking up plastic pollution isn't quite so attractive i'm um, walking along a highway or a, a busy street you know and picking up that plastic so that's a great call out on beach cleanups like yeah. at the end of the day the worst case of a beach cleanup is you're still at the beach you're still taking a walk on a beach and it's it's still really nice absolutely and uh, and we also like a sidewalk cleanup wouldn't be as fun if we went to downtown la and just picked up the sidewalk it doesn't have the same thing cities yeah. are beautiful and they can be yeah. don't get me wrong i hope i'm not offending anyone but Look, beaches I, have that advantage. I think everything's got its pros and cons. I love cities. I love the beach and, and they've both got their good and bad to them. Um, but we realized people not only couldn't necessarily participate in that sort of beach cleanup activity everywhere, but also that people wanted to start to address um, the plastic pollution problem further up the chain. They wanted to look at their own plastic footprint, their community's plastic footprint and take action. Um, so we created a toolkit, a five-step sort of plan that brought together um, local government, local businesses, uh, local NGOs, schools, events to, to look at the collective plastic footprint in that area and start to tackle it. Um, I launched this in 2017, just before the Blue Planet aired. Um, and we had uh, what we thought was a really ambitious target to get 125 communities by 2020. And this year, we've got 700 communities already. Holy um, moly. Representing about 30 million people collectively. So it's uh, an impressive sort of program. And I'm always uh, sort of overwhelmed when I see the stuff coming through our social feeds of communities I've never even been to, all inspired by this program, all connected um, through it and creating tangible and sort of um, measurable impact on plastic pollution. Do you think, and I, I really want to know here, do you think uh, that work is what caught the attention of the royal family and all the attention you've gotten? So to, so to give some context, 
you guys have been doing work with you know uh, the government in the UK for a yeah. while, but you've recently had some really strong connections to the royal family and were picked as the one of the charities, one of the seven charities for the royal wedding of Prince Harry and yeah. Meghan Markle. And and do you think it's that it's that work? How how does one put their charity on the radar of people at that level? Do you, do you know what, Reese? I, I think. Um, I, I'm really, I'm really proud of SS because I think we're a charity or an NGO with a difference. I think we've got a lot of character. I think we've got a lot of authenticity, and I hope we've got a lot of energy. Um, and we try and do things differently. We like to curate the brand really well. I like to create really great products, campaigns, products um, that that people want to buy into, that they can really feel inspired by and empowered by. Um, and we first met with Prince Charles in 2015. Um, on the beach in Cornwall, we organized a big event with lots of other NGOs and some business leaders about um, ocean plastic. It was called the Ocean Plastic Awareness Day. And I had the great honor of introducing him to all of these NGOs, spending some time with him, talking to business leaders. And it was there we started the journey. And I like to think that it was there that he first saw, saw how Surface Against Sewage does something does its work with a a, a difference really um, and really creates a strong sense of uh, of authenticity and impact for the the beaches we love and for the ocean that we love yeah that's i mean it's it's super cool and i don't mean to like get all hyped up about the royals uh you know but at the same time that's an incredible honor that the royal family selected you as one of seven nonprofits to donate to for the wedding and to recognize your work and and i think that some people might think like oh wow they caught on to something but it's actually a result of the work you have been doing for years and years and years and building that momentum in that community right i mean that's yeah. that's my read on it is like you guys have been around now 30 years yeah it, it, 30 years of, of of activism um and the royal wedding was was incredible and to, to have you got to go right yeah i got to go I, I was in windsor castle on that that beautiful day it was a it was a a classic british summer's day it was really warm it was a you know light winds um in this incredibly uplifting sort of moment and we were honored that they selected us and it, it, it shone a light on the work we do to billions of people around the world and normally we measure sort of big social media metrics in the millions but we were talking billions with this really and we had the, the biggest spotlight that we've ever had thrown onto our work which was which was um one of the biggest sort of benefits of being involved actually um but but our relationship with his royal highness the prince of wales is even more sort of even sort of um more impactful for us he's got a, a sort of four or five decades of being a leader on talking about environmental issues he was talking about plastic pollution 40 50 years ago he was talking about uh, genetically modified crops um you know that long ago he's talking about all sorts of issues that are now a common currency in the in the sort of public domain and so we're really proud of the association with um his royal highness and and we're about to meet with him he's going to be our patron which is an incredible honor too so we're seeing him in just uh, four days time he's coming down to cornwall to meet some of our team to meet some of our uh, major um sort of supporters and partners reese you were invited but i know you can't make it i'm sad it's a long ways away I, yeah. he, i've been i'm very i'm very honored that you've invited me to a number of event, events yeah. <laughs> um across across the pond and the nation uh to get to and i really appreciate it um can't always make it but no. i am rooting for you from afar it's it's pretty incredible so yeah so we're we're, we're really proud um and it's incredible and i didn't think 
back in 2008 when I took over at SAS, when the, the organization was in a sort of a not an incredible state back then. Um, I didn't think quite that we'd end up doing the sort of, you know, royal wedding, that we'd, you know, start to influence on, you know, so much legislative change on plastics and that we'd have a, uh, the, the patronage of um, the future sort of king of England, really. So an amazing journey um, and one that continues to grow in this, this new decade, the UN Decade of Ocean Science for Sustainable Development and the UN Decade of Habitat Restoration. So a really crucial decade to, to actually try and deliver thriving oceans again, to try and protect nature, to try and give it a chance to rebound. Because we know that when we do that, um, it, it can it can recover quite quickly. We see it with you know strong legislation on protecting whales, where we see humpback whale populations rebounding, blue whale populations rebounding. When we've got heavily sort of protected marine protected areas, we see biomass increasing. So all of these sorts of things we need to see much more of, and we need to stop the the inflow of of materials like plastics into our special ocean. What's the current state in the UK of some of this legislature? So I know that um, Europe has been great and getting really progressive on bans on plastic, et cetera. So what's the current picture? And then how is that going to change or will it be impacted by Brexit? Yeah. Not, not to get too political, everybody. <laughs> Don't freak out. But at the well, same look, time, I am curious. I mean, it's got it's to impact your well, look, plans I think, for things. I think importantly, we can get political without saying which politics people should support necessarily so we're an apolitical organization but we are we are always working on a political agenda we don't support one party or another that's not our, our job to do our we job is the to environment support the environment and to call always whoever's in power whoever might get into power always call for the the best possible outcome for the environment so we can have a thriving ocean and thriving people around it that's our that's our job um and brexit does present dangers, but it can also present opportunities. We're going through a, a really interesting time um, on environmental legislation. We've got the Environment Bill going through Parliament at the moment. It's just had its second reading. And what's, with, what's on that bill? What are the top well, issues Well, on there? that bill, well, plastic pollution, um, you know, will be really tackled through that. So new interventions such as um, such as deposit return systems on, um, on plastic bottles um, could be included in there um, very, very strongly. So is there currently a, a container deposit in the There UK? isn't a container deposit at the moment. We've campaigned for a long time on that. We had a petition um, over the past couple of years that, um, that had about 350,000 people sign up to it. We took that to Downing Street on our plastic bottle battleship, um, which we sailed into the center of London to talk about the need to protect, um, to protect our beaches from this, this source of plastic pollution. And the government has committed to that. That's great. Um, it's going to take some time to design. So all of that will be in the Environment Bill. We've got bans. We've got extensions on plastic bag charges. Um, we've got water quality legislation going in there to be able to, to find water companies that are polluting our ocean in a big way, all of those sorts of things. And then the need to protect much more of nature too. So we're in a global sort of um, global sort of consensus that we need to protect 30% of our oceans over the next decade. And all of that sort of stuff will come into the Environment Bill. So it's being debated at the moment in the House of Commons, and then it will be in the House of Lords. Um, so an exciting time. And we, we want to see um, we want to see some pretty tough legislation because we know that the business as usual isn't working for the environment. All of the metrics are pointing in the wrong direction. We're seeing um, we're seeing biodiversity decline. We're seeing, you know, horrendous impacts to our ocean. We're seeing horrendous impacts to terrestrial environments. And we really need to do much more to protect nature so it can thrive again. And it's not about conserving it with too much intervention. It's actually giving it space to breathe again. Yeah, being proactive. I mean, I, I'm I'm huge on that and upstream solutions and actually saying, hey, let's protect this place. 
before destroying it and then trying to rehab it or whatever we think we're going to do, right? Like be proactive and, and, and stop the bleed, stop the bleeding, so to speak, but also um, just, you know, why wouldn't we want some beautiful wild spaces? On Absolutely. Planet, and, and, you know? and one of the, the things that we've got, Reese, um, with the ocean is that actually the sort of rewilding agenda is, is much more possible in the ocean because all we have to do is, 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 is not not go into spaces because <laughs> it actually there. is one yeah. ocean and the, the animals will, the, the, the marine animals and fish will find their way to the areas that are protected and then they can thrive again. And we know that where those highly protected areas are in place already, that there's overspill into the areas next to it. So where people still can fish and still do other things, that actually it's a, a benefit both for nature in the marine protected area, but then also for people outside of it. So it's a win-win um, for people and planet. Yeah, 100%. We, um, we're working on a big campaign around 30 by 30 uh, nice. as well. And um, we're pretty excited about it. I think everybody needs to kind of be all hands on deck for this one this year. Yeah. Super important year um, for, for all of us. Um, you just talked about a lot of heavy stuff. Yeah. You just talked about uh, climate and biodiversity and the current state of things, business as usual. Yep. A lot of stuff's in decline. Um, you also have a son. Yep. Darwin. Darwin, yeah. Super cool name. Just turned 12. 12. Yeah. So, like, in his lifetime, he's going to see a lot of change, um, for better and worse, hopefully more for better and not all for worse. Yep. But I'm curious, how do you how do you talk about that as a parent and someone who knows? I mean, you're pretty eyes wide open about a lot mm-hmm. of things. Most most people are busy with their day-to-day and working and doing their thing, and they know climate change is a, is a thing, or they know plastic pollution is bad, but maybe haven't gone as deep as you have. And so I'm curious... How do you how do you speak about it with your son? Well, I think um, we're living in an age where we do need to to talk about the radical truth of the world around us. We need to talk about the impacts, um, you know, whether it's biodiversity loss or plastic pollution on our beaches, and they're just they're, they're just the the the, the facts. Um, that's that's what's happening to our world around us. Um, but then we're seeing a, a great optimistic wave of of, of a, rea- a reaction to that. So we're seeing the sort of Greta Thunberg effect of of young people rising up to say enough is enough. So that radical activism. But I do believe that we need um, to have and an, an, an present a gender of radical hope. We need to give people the tools to take action. We can't just talk about the doom and gloom. We need to empower them to do things, whether that's a beach cleanup and brand audits on the beach to hold the big brands to account, whether that's engaging people with their politicians so they can call for the change we want to see at the right legislative moments to truly protect our environment, whether it's getting people to um, to, to campaign on local issues. All of these things are part of the Radical Hope agenda because we do know that the solutions actually are, are are there at our fingertips. We know that that where we protect our ocean properly, it will rebound. We know that if we put the proper legislation in place to protect species such as you know different species of whales or all whales, we know they can rebound. We know that where we have the right legislation on plastic, we can see a decline in plastic pollution. Um, so all of these things are there. We know if we plant more trees, the right type of trees, we know that's going to be good. So you know ultimately um, the solutions are there. We're just not necessarily seeing them or implementing them fast enough. But I think it's important that people look at the case studies that have worked around the world to draw on where nature is thriving once again and use that as inspiration. As, and as humans, hope is a big part of what we do. And really, we all will have hope until our last breath in this life because, you know, we're there. We can still create change. Whilst we're here, we can all create change and be part of that positive change agenda. And so as a campaigner, I think you, you always need to be hopeful. You need to believe that you will see the world you want to create. 
And so you're really focusing on highlighting the helpers, right? You're kind of saying, look at these solutions, look at these ways that we can do good, positive things, especially in your in your dialogue with Darwin, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah, um, you know, I think... I does he always, ask about it or is he just yeah, playing Fortnite like every other he, he kid does, under 18, that he, I assume? <laughs> he does like Fortnite. He, he, he's also actually really into his drumming and he loves his surfing in the cool. summertime and he's he's really into his art at the moment. He's doing a lot of good art. So that's, that's so sort of cool. cool. Um, you know what? I think we, we're really lucky because we live in a beautiful part of the UK, Cornwall. Um, amazing beaches, some of the best I've seen, you know, globally, really. Um, and there's a lot of big, lovely nature still out there. Um, and there is a lot of doom and gloom at the moment, but people can take a step outside and they can go to a beach, they can go to a mountain, they can go to a forest, and there's still a lot of really, really nice, beautiful stuff out there. So let's let's treasure the planet that we're on. Let's look at the, the sort of new baseline of what's around us and let's protect that and put the things in place that can help, you know, let it recover even more. Beautifully said. Um, I'd love to get some advice from you uh, for a few different archetypes here mm -hmm. for the person who is in their local community wondering how can i do more how can i how can i help more there i feel like there are so many of these people in their community they're like i want to do more i don't know what to do mm -hmm. what advice would you have for them um i think there's a a, a a lot of really great organizations out there who are there to help you on that journey not just surfers against sewage but the surf rider foundation uh, save the waves greenpeace friends of the earth loads of good organizations and they have great campaigns um, there are campaigns on the ground to go and pick up plastic pollution and monitor it there are campaigns to connect with your local politician on the issues you care about and all of them are looking for that voluntary support they all need your voice and they can all amplify your voice in the right direction and that's really important and they often know the techniques to get the attention of the right people they know what sort of campaign action what sort of demo what sort of letter writing exercise what sort of petition or email will have the desired effect at the right time so put your trust in them find the, the organization that represents you in the right way do your research it might be a very local organization it could be a national one it could be an international one find the thing that feels right to you that is working on the issues that you care about and then give them your support give them your voice maybe you make a donation to them maybe you don't or maybe you just want to sign their petition or join them on the streets of washington new york london wherever to um to, to join the fight because um uh it's really our collective voices that can push on change in these these times. Um, and sometimes people underestimate the, the value and the importance of their individual voice. You know, your individual letter to your senator or your MP is a very powerful thing. And it's not always numbers. It's not always social media numbers they need. Your personal story, that emotional, visceral story, that authentic story of your connection with the environment or your connection with people in your community or your your view on the issue can be a really powerful tool. And it can sometimes just take one letter phrased in the right way that could open the eyes of the person who can create the change you want to see. 100%. I mean, think about the youth climate strikes. It started with one young girl. Absolutely. And now Absolutely. you look at the movement, right? Um, so taking that advice now, let's think about all the nonprofits that are out there, whether they're surf enviro or enviro or ocean or whatever it is. What advice do you have for, you know, you've been in the nonprofit space now for a long time. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for those people working in nonprofits and, and how to be successful in that field? You know, is there some top level advice that keeps you sane, keeps you successful? Um, uh, yeah. 
There probably is. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I would I would say a few things. Is is one getting into Surface Against Sewage? I started as a as just an a, an activist. I started as a member. Um, actually, my first interaction was back in 1991. I I took part in a surf competition called Surf to Save in Cornwall um, that supported fr uh, Friends of the Earth, Greenpeace, and and the then sort of nascent Surface Against Sewage. And I was a I was a a bodyboarder back then. That's probably a bad, bad thing to say. Oh, interview over. Yeah. 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 Thought no. that might happen. No, we're messing. Um, bodyboarders are totally um, welcome. It was like the heyday of, you know, the Mike Stewart, the Ben Severson sort of era. Um, and, uh, and I took part in this competition and it was there that I first met some of the founding sort of members of, of SAS. And then I sort of carried on with the journey. I, I went out on demos um, with gas masks and, and surfboards. I became a regional rep and, you know, alongside my career in London, you know, did lots of things on funding and support. Um, and then this sort of opportunity came up and I, and I took it. And I'm sort of a really firm believer on, on, um, on understanding how to take sort of positive um, risks in your job you've got to take risks you've got to be able to put your neck on the line definitely and you've got to be able to be accountable for that and and that's really important in anyone's career you've got to know what what decisions you own and how you own them you've got to be able to face up to your mistakes and learn from them and celebrate your successes when you have a success but some of the biggest and best things that i've had in my career are actually my mistakes in a way the things where i failed and i've had to adjust my own my own sort of strategy and tactics um and look for advice and support in other areas so that would be my advice fantastic all right one more last question mm -hmm. and i'm stealing this from ace bucken uh ace recently uh hosted an episode for us and came up with a great final question that i think i'm going to have to steal for okay. all episodes going forward but you're I'm, the, you're I'm the happy first. with that. And I, weirdly, I sort of surf quite similarly to Ace. So, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Totally. Um, if you had a chance to take anyone in the world—political leader, environmental leader, business leaders, anybody—for a surf or out in nature in general, maybe they don't surf. But if you, you know, you're taking them to the ocean, right? Who would you take with you? Where would you go? And what would you talk about? That is a that is a good question. Ace is really good. Yeah. I think I'm just going to give him the podcast. Um, who would I take surfing? Um, I, um, I, I, I wouldn't take either of our leaders of our countries. So I wouldn't take <laughs> Tr Donald Trump or Boris Johnson. I don't think that would be a wise use of that, that opportunity. Okay. Um, um, I, I think, um, for me, somebody who I've always sort of loved and sort of, um, and admired, um, who I had the good chance to meet earlier this year is Sir David Attenborough. Um, and he has, he has opened hearts and minds around the world on, on, um, on, on the whole environmental, um, sort of debate on all of our sort of global environmental health. Um, and I was the most nervous I've ever been of meeting anyone when, when I saw him in January. It was my first meeting of 2020 of the new decade. Um, and it was pretty cool. It's a um, good first meeting. Yeah. And he's a, he's a, you know, he's, he's, he's getting on that. I think he's in his early nineties. Um, but he was somebody that I've drawn so much inspiration from and he probably wouldn't want to or be able to go surfing now, but if I could with a younger Sir David Attenborough, I'd love to have shared that experience with him and been able to talk more with him about 
um, about the motivation of surfing um, and how we've used it to, to sort of create change and to learn from him. You know, that would be my, my sort of thing. That'd be really cool. He's just, I mean, I just want his voice in this moment right now. Like, yeah. and here's Hugo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take, Wiping out again. <laughs> taking off on this way. Um, that, that's, that's a solid answer. That's a solid first answer. So, um, cool. So thank you, Ace, for that question. <laughs> <laughs> Hugo, anything else you want to share with us or with um, anybody listening around the world? You know what? I, I am I am a sort of super grateful um, for the work that the World Surf League uh, WSL Pure is doing on the environmental agenda, um, and it's great to see surfing and surfers being at the sort of forefront of of this nexus between sport and um, protecting the environment that we we so need and so cherish. Because there there aren't many examples in the sporting sort of domain as good as as the surfing organizations of wsl surf rider save the wave surfers against sewage actually putting their money where their mouth is and creating the change they want to see and i'd you know i'd, I'd welcome any any sort of uh, emails about organizations that are doing it as well but um but i'm really proud to be part of that movement and i'm really proud to be here in the states um and visiting wsl i've taken a lot of inspiration um, from the sort of can-do attitude that I find out here, and we're grateful for the support of the um, of the SEMA, the Surf Industry Manufacturers Association, the Environmental Fund, and all of the people uh, out here that support Surfers Against Sewage. So thank you very much. Thank you, man. We're proud to be partners with you, and we're just rooting for you from across the pond all the time. So um, thanks again, and yeah, we uh, we look forward to seeing big things out of you and Surfers Against Sewage this year and many years to come. Thank you very much, Reese. Cheers, Hugo. I always love reconnecting with Hugo and I love the work they do at Surfers Against Sewage. So go check them out. Links are in the show notes. Before you fast forward to your next podcast, be sure you're subscribed here. We've got a special episode dropping next week for the 50th anniversary of Earth Day and you won't want to miss it. And if you're already subscribed, thank you. And thank you for listening. Feel free to share the podcast with a friend or throw us a rating or review so we can keep growing this podcast, finding new listeners, and all work together to protect our one ocean. And for those of you already writing in with positive praise, thank you. It means a ton to us. One recent email from Connor in Atlanta, what's up, Connor, asked what else he could do in his community. And Connor, I'd really encourage you to take a look at Surfers Against Sewage's Plastic-Free Communities Program. It's a toolkit you can use to build a plastic-free community where you are. Or, and you may be surprised to hear this, join Surfrider Foundation's Georgia chapter. Yes, they have one. There are surfers in Georgia. Or go check out Waterkeeper Alliance. They have uh, chapters all over the country. These are great groups that have a national presence and, and a solid program with local grassroots chapters where you can build community and tackle greater change together. Hope that's helpful, Connor. If you have a question, hit us up. Oneocean at WSLPure.org or follow online at WSLPure. And thanks again to Hugo for being our guest this week. Thank you all for listening. Hit the show notes for links to everything we discussed, as well as uh, poet Rupi Kaur and David Goggins. And stay safe out there. Catch you next week. <laughs>